This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stamps.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Nanny is a moody thriller about Aisha, a Senegalese immigrant who cares for the young child of a rich Manhattan couple. As her tenure with the family progresses, issues arise and the workplace dynamic becomes fraught. Strange and dreadful things begin to occur, and the lines between the real and the imagined are blurred. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about one of my favorite movies out of this year's Sundance, Nanny, on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Joining me today is Vulture TV critic Roxana Haddadi. Welcome back, Roxana. Thank you. And also here is writer, comedian, and co-host of the Bad Romance podcast, Jordan Searles. Welcome back to you too, Jordan. Thanks for having me back. So Nanny stars Anna Jope as Aisha, a Senegalese immigrant who's saving up to bring her young son to live with her in New York City. Michelle Monaghan and Morgan Spector play Amy and Adam, the couple who hire Aisha, to look after their daughter Rose, who's played by Rose Decker. Now, while Aisha gets along well with Rose at first, there are some uncomfortable interactions with the parents that begin to add up, especially as it pertains to setting boundaries around work hours and being paid on time. Aisha begins having disturbing dreams and visions drawn from African folklore like Anansi the Spider and the water spirit Mami Wata, and it all culminates with her being forced to make a decision about how she responds to trauma and rage. The film also features Sinkwa Walls as Malik, Aisha's love interest, and Leslie Uggams as Malik's grandmother Kathleen. Nanny is the feature debut of writer and director Nikiatu Jusu, and it's streaming now on Amazon Prime. And we should note that Amazon supports NPR and pays to distribute some of our content. So, Jordan, let's start with you. I know you reviewed this out of Sundance. And can you tell us a little bit more about how you felt about the film? Yeah, it's part of this like new crop of Black horror that's been coming lately. So it, it shares a lot of traits with other things that it come like Master and um, even the new Candyman, which I wasn't super wild about. But what I did really like about this one was... Um, the kind of quiet artfulness of it, the way that it doesn't even really try for jump scares that much. And throughout the whole film, you really don't know what's going to happen or what the visions are about, or if it's going to be the parents, if it's going to be the girl, like what the conflict is. And 
I definitely didn't know where it was going. And I found that to be really fascinating. Yeah, I I have to agree with you. I had a similar experience where throughout my first time watching it, I was very much like, what is happening here? Are these dreams? Are these really happening? It's kind of a series, I feel like, of moments that eventually add up to this culminating moment. But as you're watching it, it's not entirely clear Recent horror films, like the ones you've mentioned, have tried to make it a little bit clearer or have been a little bit more on the nose, shall we say, and what they're trying to depict. That's not what you're going to get with this film. And that's also something I really liked about it. Roxana, what was your reaction to Nanny? A couple of years ago, I really loved this movie, His House. Yes. Which is also sort of a horror thriller about like refugee immigrants to the UK and odd things start happening in the home that's provided to them. And that sort of followed a similar pattern and rhythm to this film, which is this questioning of like, what is real between very surreal, fantastical, neon lit, weird things happening at night imagery Mm -hmm. and the bureaucracy of like, how do you navigate a new society, a new place with people who are not necessarily not welcoming, but also don't feel sincerely welcoming. So it's like finding the juxtaposition between those two concepts. And I thought that Nanny also did that really, really wonderfully. Visually, it's just beautiful to look at. I mean, the lighting is wonderful. The cinematography is really exciting because it sort of keeps you questioning things you sort of take for granted, right? Like your reflection in the mirror. How does that change? Do you recognize yourself? Do you recognize the people around you? So I thought it did a really good job raising an array of questions that we're sort of used to in the horror genre, but putting a different spin on them. And there was another movie a couple years ago called Undine, and it was also about like a European tradition of a water spirit. And that sort of did the same thing where it played with the idea of is mythology something that we made up? Or is it something that has relevance in present day? And if so, how does it affect individuals? And so I just, I really loved that Nanny played with all of these things and still was very engaging and well-paced. It never felt ponderous, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I think it really does a good job of balancing the supernatural or the mystical and the scenes that are more grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. I think of a, a few moments between the Amy character, Michelle Monaghan's character, and Aisha, where Aisha is is trying to politely but firmly assert that you need to pay me on time, including, you know, Amy asking her, can you do an overnight? We agreed on 100, right? And she's like, no, actually, we agreed overnights would be 150. In the world of this, where other things, crazy things happen, weird things, odd things happen, this is very minuscule, but this means the world to her because her main goal is to bring her son here to the U.S. and to be able to see him again. She hasn't seen him in a very long time, and she can only talk to him on the phone. Um, And so those little moments and how they really are, I think, relatable to a lot of people, of course, people who have immigrated here, but also just anyone who is working in that kind of job and has a hard time getting paid. I think like connecting that to the sort of spiral that eventually happens throughout the rest of the film to me was very well done and done in ways that you know what's happening, It's but it's not hitting you over the head with it, like <laughs> a 
all the time. I really appreciated that. Every single time I've watched this movie, which it feels like I've watched it a lot, I think about, because I'm a second generation Jamaican immigrant. And for a bit, I considered becoming a nanny while I was here in New York. And I just basically had one bad experience with one white mother who was like clearly angry about something else, but pointing it at me. And I was just like, I simply cannot be part of this. It's scary because you don't know these people. They don't know you. They're more powerful than you. They have more money. Like, it's terrifying. Like, there are so many scenes in this movie where it's like, it's not traditionally scary. But there's a scene where there is an issue with with the child. Well, there are a couple of those. And it's just like, you just feel like things could escalate. And it's so upsetting. And it's like when she's not with that family, I feel so much more comfortable (laughs) with her. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, the plus side of this is that she's not a live-in nanny. Oh my God, that would have been the worst. So there are moments where she has reprieve away from them. But yeah, that that sense of dread is so palpable. Roxana, what were your thoughts? Well, all I was going to say is that I think there has also been, within the past couple years, I think there have been a couple of deep dive, like investigative journalism pieces about like nannying in New York. And I also think maybe in San Francisco, but mm-hmm. just about like the reality of what it is to be an immigrant woman in these scenarios with people who have more power and prestige and access than you do, as we see in the film, generally paying you in cash, which means they're basically paying you under the table, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and they're asking a lot from these women who are they are letting into their homes, but not really letting into their lives necessarily. And we got sort of a comedic version of this. Atlanta did an episode that sort of addressed this phenomenon. But I do think it's one of those like social phenomena things that's worth discussing when we talk about labor in this country and like who benefits from certain types of labor. I think so much of the anxiety is tied to what could happen to this character in this space, who would know and who would care. Yeah. I also think it's really important the way that Nikiatu Jusu frames and even wrote this character is that there's always that power imbalance, but you can always sense that Aisha has a sense of control and really she is not necessarily a victim here or she's not going mm-hmm. to be victimized. I think of a scene where she has the same conversation, but with Amy's husband. And in this scene, Nikiaki Jusu actually like tilts the camera upward so that you're looking up at her while she is looking up at the husband. He's like, I'll give you an advance. Oh, love that scene. I'll advance you some of the money. Until we can figure this out. I'm sorry, things have been uh, a little tight around here for everyone. It is not an advance. It is what I am owed. That moment and just the way she's framed in that scene gives her a sort of power that you know she's trying to muster up in the face of this character. And when I think of the other recent horror, Black horror films and TV shows that have attempted to sort of mine these kinds of situations, a lot of them do not, to me at least, have that same sense of of empowerment. I think they think that there is this empowerment thing going on here, but I, yeah. I really feel it here in a way that I don't feel it in other recent versions of that. Since, Jordan, you mentioned this earlier, just like, how are you feeling about the Black horror genre, or even just the genre as it's kind of expanded 
to include more people of color, generally speaking? You know, it's been a real mixed bag because we have like a lot of great ideas, but a lot of them feel rushed to me or trying very hard to duplicate Get Out, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's been like a pretty big problem. I think that the state of Black horror is a lot of people trying new things right now that aren't quite honed and maybe a little too much emphasis on message and maybe not enough on craft in mm-hmm. terms of like staying power. Because if we're talking about like topics that are in the news or being discussed on Twitter and stuff like that, yeah, it's very timely. But it also should work in a way where I can watch this movie 10 years from now and it'll still do something. Like if I watch The People Under the Stairs, like it's still, it still hits gentrification still as a problem in the way that it covers it and just the way that the film is structured. And also the way that the film exemplifies like how white supremacy allows for all this like money hoarding that doesn't actually make the people happy. It just kind of makes them insane. Um, Mm -hmm. So like (laughs) stuff like that. And in terms of Nanny, there's at least the sense of like universal experience that's going on there. The idea that you're taking care of other people's families while your family is far away. Like that's still relatable. I think what I have noticed also speaking from horror that is either produced by like first generation filmmakers, like there's been sort of a mini Iranian horror film thing that's happening between like Under the Shadow and Girl Who Walks Home Alone at Night in a film that I really liked from a couple of years ago. Everything I'm mentioning is from a couple of years ago mm-hmm. uh, called The Night. And the thing about all these films that I both appreciate and I sort of wish we would maybe move into a different form of storytelling is that a lot of them are about history as trauma, which I both enjoy because I think it sort of allows you to dive into character backstory and sometimes historical context to maybe flesh out your story. I also sort of wish that maybe we would just get back to a horror place that feels a little bit more immediate and a little bit more present and sort of to Jordan's point, not always message-y. So like I both am enjoying sort of how the genre has broadened, but at the same time, I sort of wish there would be a uh, an allowance for maybe just like some gore and some silliness and some slasher stuff that <laughs> doesn't always have to make a point, which Nanny does wonderfully and beautifully and immersively. But I just think I would like more from the genre yeah. as well. Yeah. With Nanny especially, it's not working with history per se, but it is working with the folklore that -hmm. we've already mentioned and Nancy very explicitly. And the Leslie Uggams character, the grandmother of Aisha's love interest, she kind of serves as the storyteller in a way or the Mm -hmm. the translator of the Mamiwata spirit. And I thought that was really interesting. And I'm curious how it, it kind of all comes to a head in the end, which we won't spoil, but For me, the first time I watched it, I was kind of taken aback and thought to myself, wait, this is this is the end. And then Mm -hmm. watching it a second time, I think I understood a little bit more what Nikiatu Jisu was going for, but I'm still not entirely sure. It felt a little rushed to me, but I'm curious what your reactions were or if you had a sense of what that was supposed to mean. It feels like a very spiritual ending. It's almost like 
Nikiatu was trying something really experimental with how the ending works. And as a result of that, I don't really know like what to compare it to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I agree. I also did one of those like, did I look away from the screen and suddenly the movie's over and I missed something sort of reactions? Um, but I appreciated that it felt very personal. And also, yes, somewhat bold in that the movie is sort of telling two stories. It's doing the metaphysical, mythological, folklore thing. And it's also doing the very grounded, like, look at these terrible, rich white people and how self-serving they are thing. And I appreciated that the ending chooses one of those narratives to follow and not the other. But I appreciated that there was sort of a sense here of Yes, both sides of this story were important, but our storytelling focus is going to be on one. And that sort of tips you off to what the priority of the movie always was. I mean, again, that's just my interpretation of what it was. And it sort of took me a second to get there. But once I settled on that, I was like, okay, I can sort of respect the film taking that leap for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I also just want to give a brief shout out to the little romance that she has with Malik. I just think it's really lovely and adds another layer to it and gives her more complexity and i'm always down to see you know beautiful black man (laughs) who seems who seems like really lovely and they have a connection that goes deeper than we often see these types of films when romances are just kind of tacked on right and her friendship i really liked her friendship with the i think it's the soleil character yes yes Uh, and they sort of discuss again it's just a couple scenes like it's like a birthday party and uh visiting each other at work but there is a really good efficiency to the script that sort of clues you into how long these women have known each other, how they've sort of settled into this new country, the support they provide for one another. So I like that, you know, the movie is what, 90-something minutes? But we get all these other aspects of this character's life and sort of a sense of how they move through this version of New York. Yeah, and the film doesn't halt when these scenes are. Everything feels very weaved together, very natural your life feels real yes real and lived in and uh which is really hard to do when you're balancing it with all these other elements so i think we all would recommend this obviously we want to know what you think about nanny you can find us at facebook.com slash pchh and that brings us to the end of our show roxana haradi jordan searles thanks so much for being here it was really great to talk about this movie with you thank you thank you and of course thank you for listening to pop culture happy hour from npr this episode was produced by mike katsif and edited by jessica reedy and hello come in provides our theme music I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow when we'll be talking about Kindred. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping... 
Your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little breaks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.